Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to The Real Story. Well, if we thought 9-11 was going to be about 9-11, the swamp definitely had other plans, didn't they? As George W. Bush decided to make it about, of all things, January 6th. Liz Harrington joins us in a moment as we take a look at how the swamp versus the people and our voice spent 9-11. And as Blinken is finally appearing before Congress, albeit via Zoom, what will be the end result of these hearings? Will Congress really get answers as to what happened in Afghanistan? or just sound bites. Steve Rogers brings us his prediction. Also, as of course Blinken was his choice for Secretary of State, who else is Biden appointing to serve in his swamp? And what are the most important qualifications? Well, party allegiance, of course. Lee Smith joins us to break this all down. Plus, we keep hearing so much talk about and from Joe Manchin, don't we? How he'll stop the Democrats from implementing their radical agenda. But is that all it is, talk? We'll ask Congressman Louis Gohmert, and later, Carl DeMaio joins us with his prediction on tomorrow's recall election in California. But first, have you noticed the narrative has shifted once again? All weekend long, the fake and corrupt news media was talking January 6th again. Not the 13 service members killed in Afghanistan by Biden's bloody incompetence. Not the $85 billion worth of equipment left behind. Not the growing refugee crisis, the border crisis. Not the crime of the century, no, the lamestream media is talking January 6th. And who's changed the narrative back to how they want it? Why a so-called Republican? And on the sacred grounds of the Flight 93 National Memorial. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdain for pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. And oh, how the reviews came in from the same predictable echo chamber CNN ran with the headline, George W. Bush perfectly tied 9-11 to the January 6th attack. And of course, the two so-called Republicans on the January 6th committee just had to weigh in. With Liz Cheney tweeting, thank you, President Bush. This was a moving and important speech by a good and honorable man. And Adam Kinzinger tweeting, they are children of the same foul spirit, says President Bush, referring to the terrorists overseas and domestic terrorists at home. This clarity is why we never forget. Really? Bush is a hero now? When he's the one who got us into this deadly debacle of the endless wars, and Biden, who bloodily botched the end of him, gets off scot-free as well? Not so fast. For a while, not one career politician had the basic decency to speak out on what made this 9-11 so incredibly difficult. President Trump certainly did. But then again, he isn't a politician, but a man and president of the people. 
This is the 20th year of this war and should have been a year of victory and honor and strength. Instead, Joe Biden and his inept administration surrendered in defeat. We will live on, but sadly, our country will be wounded for a long period of time. We will struggle to recover from the embarrassment this incompetence has caused. Do not fear, however, America will be made great again. And make America great again is most certainly what America wants. For while the swamp creatures gathered in their echo chamber to redefine remembrances, President Trump went out among the people, visiting the heroic members of the FDNY and the NYPD with one resounding message. But I just want to thank everybody. You're incredible people. You're beautiful people. There's nobody like you, and uh, nobody has your guts. I, I know all about that building. I was down there right after, and it, it, was, uh, it was a tragedy. And to think that knowing the one building came down and you still had people going from fire, people going up the other building, I, I assume just knowing what was going to happen, uh, the bravest people, and we want to thank you. You're incredible. And while America had quite the message to send to President Trump as well, as he concluded 9-11 by hosting and commentating at Triller Fight Club's Legends 2 event on Saturday. We're just honored. We're just honored. Thank you. That's what everybody's saying in the audience. I don't think I hear that back home. Everybody's screaming right now. People are going nuts. This is a main event in the South. And isn't that right there what the swamp is really afraid of? Love. Love of God, love of country, and love of our beloved President Trump. No other president has experienced that kind of love before. And perhaps that is the real reason George W. Bush did what he did on Saturday. For like King Saul of old, as he hears the chants of the people who were once his people, Chanting instead much louder and stronger for someone else. Quite simply, it can be enough, hate can be enough, to unify forces on the dark side. And sadly, that is the real story. Joining us now, spokesperson for Save America and President Trump, Liz Harrington. Liz, the swamp is filled with so much hate still, even on 9-11. Where was the unity? You know, Natalie, that is such a good point that you pointed out. It is love. We've never seen a movement like this, and it's born out of love of country. And finally, the one real true leader who stuck up for us in this country. And that is what divides us. And it's not political party. Rhino George W. Bush, his failed administration, is no different from uh, Joe Biden, who couldn't even get out there and give his own speech. So they had to trot out uh, Rhino like George W. Bush to, I guess, make the point for him. There's no difference between the Clintons and the Bushes and the Obamas and now Biden. They do not represent what the people want, and they're afraid of what the people do want and what they got from President Trump. And so what they're doing now is trying to discredit, demean, smear, and on all days, the 20th anniversary, when we just lost 13, one of the bloodiest days of this 20-year war, and George W. Bush can't even mention it, can't even bring himself to mention that absolute weak debacle that happened in Afghanistan. Instead, 
He turns his fire against American citizens. It's absolutely disgusting. It's dangerous. It's so uncalled for. But again, the people see it and they know who the true president is. That's President Trump. And that's why they're demanding that they be held accountable in Washington because President Trump was the one who actually held them to account. And trying to divert the narrative, because Bush got us into these endless wars. Again, no one's talking about that this weekend. They're talking about January 6th. Biden didn't get us out of them. He totally botched the removal and the withdrawal and ended up killing U.S. service members. And there's still others that are still injured. But we're not talking about that because the establishment, they run with their talking point. The media covers for them. But it doesn't work. When you see President Trump out there with the people, the people get it. The people are not listening to this echo chamber. Exactly right. They have no real power. They may think they're in charge. They have no real power. And, you know, what was 9-11 about? one of our darkest days in our history. And yet what President Trump in visiting the brave police and the firefighters, the, it was about them. It was about their resilience. It was about the people of Flight 93 in Shanksville not letting the terrorists win, not leaving anyone behind. I mean, as President Trump said when he was speaking to the firehouse, which is an amazing, incredible eight minutes that everyone should listen to, he said one building, one tower had already collapsed, and yet police and firefighters were still running in to leave no one behind. And here we are 20 years later, and what did Joe Biden do? He left Americans behind. It is so disgusting. It is un-American. It's not who we are. And, you know, George W. Bush pretended uh, he lied. He had a bunch of lies in that speech saying about what America truly is. Well, it's not being represented by the swamp of both parties, these elites who are so out of touch and are happy to open our borders, drain our blood and treasure for what? after 20 years, and then they can't even bring themselves. They're such cowards. They can't even bring themselves to mention it on, on the 20th anniversary of that dark day. The people who write the talking points, they don't get to define what America is. But you kept hearing that as if George W. Bush and all the presidents, they all line up there. They're all there. It's like, look, we're back in power. But they're not because the people's voice is still out there. We get it. We didn't want to get into the endless wars. We didn't want to get out the way Biden did. We wanted to get out the way President Trump had it set up and it would have worked. We wouldn't have so much equipment still left there that's going to end up being used against us. Exactly. And, you know, where was George W. Bush's comments about, you know, 85 billion worth of uh, the best equipment in the world? I don't think Trump supporters have that equipment, but the Taliban does. It's such a lie with the way they distort everything. And to think 20 years later, and instead of leaving with victory, which we easily could have done, all we had to do was keep Bagram Air Force Base, which is what President Trump did. All we had to do was provide support for our withdrawal and not leave Americans behind. We didn't lose a single soldier in those 18 months when we were negotiating because the Taliban knew they would be bombed immediately if they tried anything. It's called peace through strength. That's all been thrown away. And now 20 years later, where, where's the strength in wearing a mask outside at ground zero? Where's the resilience? No, that is a living a lie that has no science back to it, trying to stoke fear and division. It's not what America is about. 
The people know it. They know who their true real leader is. And that's why they showed up at the firehouses. They show it everywhere you see President Trump go. There's an outpouring of love because they know who actually has America's interests at heart. There was such unity on Saturday when you look at President Trump with the people. The people know what they want. It's not what they're getting. The swamp is unified against us. We saw that. It's the Republican establishment, the Democrat establishment. We always knew they were one and the same. And of course, Saturday, it unfortunately really highlighted that for everyone to see. But Liz, thank you for what you're doing out there for the people. When you see the spirit of America, it is still stronger than ever. They're afraid of it. But that spirit is going to win. Absolutely, Natalie. Thank you. God bless you. We'll see you soon. And while the lamestream media may want to talk January 6th, how do you think they're going to cover the Blinken hearings? Lieutenant Steve Rogers joins us next with his predictions, so stay right there. We'll be right back. Watch OAN live on cloudtv.com and see what you're missing. Download the Cloud TV app and watch One America News Network wherever you go. Visit KLOWDTV.com today. That's KLOWDTV.com today. You hear about the Taliban effect, that jihadis looked at this, looked at American troops exiting and said, it's possible that they are inspired by this. How much should we be concerned uh, about that now? I think that the Taliban winning the war in Afghanistan and then the way our exit happened has absolutely inspired jihadists all over the world. That was Obama's CIA director, Michael Morell. Obama's CIA director before John Brennan took over. And get this, Morell's not just saying the Taliban views Biden's retreat as a victory against America but of NATO. Taliban is saying, we just didn't defeat the United States. We defeated NATO. We defeated the world's greatest military power ever. So there's a celebration going on. And do you want to know who else Morel believes is going to join in on this celebration? Not only will jihadists be inspired, but a lot of them are going to come to Afghanistan to be part of the celebration. To be, hard, to be part of Jihadist Central. So after 9-11, they all scattered from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see a flow back in, and that's one of the things that makes Afghanistan more dangerous than other spots on the planet. Thanks, Biden. If Obama gave us ISIS, what are you going to give us? Because America isn't back on the world stage as you promised. Evil is. The Taliban knew exactly where we stood under President Trump because we stood. We didn't retreat. It's why they didn't try anything. Because if they did, they knew exactly what would happen, as President Trump told the great heroes of the FDNY on Saturday. Abdul, I said, Abdul, if you kill any American soldier or any American, you keep fighting your civil war, you've been fighting them forever. But you kill any American, you kill any American soldier, we're going to hit you harder than any country has ever been hit. And I said it, and I said it clear, I said it loud, and he understood that. He said, I understand. He said some other things, too, by the way. He said, <laughs> he said, they're tough. He said, I understand. And from that day on, we didn't have one soldier killed. And we could have taken two, three years to get out, or we could have been out in one month. Nobody would have been killed. And we would have had 100% of our equipment. And to see what happened, and then to come and watch these the speeches. I watched a lot of the speeches. And they talk, we went in and we fought the enemy, we fought the enemy, and it's all true. But they didn't say what happened in the last week. 
We surrendered. And we can't let that happen. Because that's a stain on our country that's worse than any stain we've ever had before. It's an embarrassment. So will the Biden administration be held accountable now with the Blinken hearings that are underway? Joining us now with more on this, former U.S. Navy officer and retired New Jersey police lieutenant Steve Rogers. Steve, I think the American people are so tired of hearings at this point where we don't get action at the end of it. Do you think Blinken is going to resign, be fired, or is life just going to go on? You know, Natalie, the problem is the lies continue. Lie after lie after lie. Now, Blinken, he ought to resign. I don't know how you force these people out of office, but he certainly is over his head. And let me add this. I, I, I heard some of the hearing today, and this uh, Representative Meeks from New York blaming President Trump, blaming the Republicans, and dared us, have you dared us, meaning Republicans and perhaps those of us who support President Trump, give, give us alternatives. In his arrogance, give us alternatives. Well, here's one for you. How about keeping Bagram Air Force Base open, reopen it, secure it? Make sure it's secure to get the people there. That's number one. Number two, get a rapid deployment force ready, ready to go in and kill the terrorists if you have to, the free Americans. Number three, you got to place conditions as President Donald Trump did on the Taliban. They don't meet the conditions. Guess what? We're going nowhere. Where? And finally, and this hasn't been talked about much, and I'm sure Joe Biden don't even want to go near this one. How about putting a lot of economic pressure on China? Their fingerprints are all over what happened. It's so unbelievable that no one's asking the right questions or even giving the right answers because the Democrats are holding this. This whole thing is all scripted. He doesn't even show up in person to give testimony. It's via Zoom. It just shows how little credit they give the American people. It's just optics. But you hear that Americans are still stranded there. A hundred Americans are still there. Thousands of green card holders. Why don't Democrats care about that? Well, it's become their political football. I'm sure that in back of a lot of their minds, they want to divert attention from the disaster that's happening down in the Mexican-American border. They want to uh, detract the American people from the disaster that is occurring over their so-called COVID crisis. Uh, it's all political distraction. And let me add this about what you just said, Natalie. General Milley, his hands aren't clean either. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, I'm sure he has a distinguished service record, but it's tarnished. It's ruined. All he has done is, is, is confirm the lies coming out of the mouth of Joe Biden. General Milley and the national security agencies that I worked with when I was in the Navy, we know where our people are. We know what we have to do and when we have to do it. They just didn't do it for political reasons. And so your answer is it's because of all political reasons. Well, even after this weekend, it all shifted to January 6th again. We get committees on January 6th with so-called Republicans on it. They're going to investigate this thing for years because they love witch hunts. But when we need answers, whether it's the origins of the China virus, whether it's what happened in Afghanistan, we just get two days of hearings and then they just sweep it away. It's out of the 24-hour news cycle or the 48-hour news cycle. You know, I, I will suggest this to you. You're absolutely right. They're using all this as a distraction. But you said something earlier uh, to the effect that, well, do they think the American people are that stupid that we're not aware of what they're doing? Well, we aren't that stupid, right, Natalie? We are aware. And when I say we, I'm going to include the Democrat conservatives and moderates and independents. They're beginning to scratch their heads, realizing, you know what? These people in D.C. are trying to pull the wool over eyes. What does January 6th have to do with 9-11? What does January 6th and COVID have to do with Afghanistan? Absolutely nothing. Lie after lie after lie. And I'll tell you what, they have placed this country, the national security of this country, in grave danger.
believe me, based on my experience and what I've worked on in the past and what I see happening now, because of their policies, our nation is in grave danger. We've got to step up. We've got to speak out. And we've got to do what we must do to secure our country. Well, you heard the chants going around again this weekend in football stadiums. F. Joe Biden. People are not forgetting what's going on. They're not blaming President Trump as the Democrats are. They're blaming Joe Biden. They'll even say it to his face if they get the chance. You know what I found amazing? It, it took me back to the late 60s and 70s during the Vietnam War when young people in college campuses were giving similar chants like that against the government. Well, this time around, in the college stadiums across this country, boy, were they going after Joe Biden. I kind of proud of those young people because they're standing up now for what they believe should be the truth. They get it. They know what's going on. Well, that silent majority, guess what? They're not silent anymore. So we need to stand up as a nation. And I've told people, go to the polls, vote, do what you got to do within the framework on the Constitution. And above all, and I don't say this lightly, they need to pray. We, we got to believe that there's a God above who blessed this nation and he wants to keep this nation whole. We have a duty and obligation to him, our founding fathers and future Americans to do just that. Amen. You're so right. Good is still greater than evil, even though a lot of times evil gets the headlines. But good is still there, and you can see it in the heartland every single day. And Steve, real quick, what do you think? Do you think by Wednesday and Thursday we're talking about something else after these hearings? Not at all. They're going to drag this thing on. They have to make, drag it on until Wednesday and Thursday because they've got to worry about Newsom in California. That's true. You see, it, it trickles right down. So it, maybe it'll lighten up a little, but it, it's always going to be President Trump. They're it's going so to target this guy, target this guy for, you know what? It's I got to so tell you, together the people exactly. are stronger. We the are Americans. Will. Yes, we are Americans. We win, 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 quoting Donald Trump. Absolutely. Steve, always good to see you. Thank you for what you're doing out there. We'll see you soon. My pleasure. Thank you. And still to come on The Real Story, exposing quid pro Joe, the current occupant of the White House, disregards diplomacy, prioritizing donations when it comes to appointing ambassadorships. Details when The Real Story comes right back. Watch OAN live on CloudTV.com and see what you're missing. Download the Cloud TV app and watch One America News Network wherever you go. Visit KLOWDTV.com today. That's KLOWDTV.com today. Quid Pro Joe, the current occupant of the White House, is once again setting new records for all the wrong reasons. His latest act of impropriety, surpassing his predecessors with ambassadorships for political appointees. Appointees who are, for the most part, big Democrat donors and higher-ups in the Democrat Party. According to the American Accountability Foundation, Biden's nominees for ambassadorships have donated just over $3 million to Democrat campaigns. The blatant pay-to-play maneuver drawing sharp criticism from the organization's co-founder, Matt Buckham, saying, if the nominees didn't donate or raise money for Democrat campaigns, Many were close political cronies with loyalty to the Democratic Party that reaches back 20 or 30 years. There is a lot of testing and training for Foreign Service diplomats. They are trained to represent the interests of the United States, not the interests of a political party. Or at least they used to be. Biden's new U.S. ambassador to Mexico, Ken Salazar, was the United States Secretary of the Interior under Barack Obama. In 2016, was selected to head Hillary Clinton's transition team if she won the presidency, which of course she still thinks she did. And in 2020, was appointed by Biden to co-chair his Latino leadership committee. 
But since Salazar is obviously not trained in the interests of a political party, he's just perfect to be a Biden ambassador, wasting no time in pushing the administration's radical agenda. Salazar is currently in Mexico City, preparing to meet with Mexico's president. It's no surprise that the two men are expected to discuss the crisis on our southern border. However, their plan isn't to fix the problem, it's how to grant amnesty to millions of illegal aliens. And there's a crisis on our southern border. Uh, in fact, I don't even know if you could say we still have a border. March, was the high, uh, March of this year was the highest month on record for enforcement encounters until the month of April. April was the highest month on record until the month of May. May was the highest month on record until the month of June. June was the highest month on record until July when 212,000 enforcement encounters took place. My guess is August will be higher yet. So what are Democrats focused on in this legislation? Putting amnesty in a bill for 8 million illegal immigrants, approximately 8 million illegal immigrants in a bill that spends $3.5 trillion. Afghanistan. The withdrawal from Afghanistan, what a debacle that was. 13 service members killed, Americans left behind, allies left behind, $90 billion of equipment and weapons left behind. And what are Democrats going to do today? Give amnesty to 8 million illegal immigrants and spend $3.5 trillion. Some of Biden's other questionable nominees for ambassadorships, Dave Cohen, a top executive at the cable company Comcast, which owns MSDNC, is Biden's pick to serve as ambassador to Canada. Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti has been selected to be ambassador to India. Thomas Nides, a former vice chairman of Morgan Stanley and a former deputy secretary of state for management and resources in the Obama administration, has been tapped to represent America's interests in Israel. Former Arizona Rhino Senator Jeff the Flake Flake is Biden's pick to be ambassador to Turkey. And Massachusetts State Representative Claire Cronin has been selected to be ambassador to Ireland. Cronin has donated thousands of dollars to Biden and other Democrat campaigns. She's also been called a leading surrogate and a fundraising bundler for Biden's presidential bid in Massachusetts. Joining me now with his take on this rampant political cronyism, journalist and author of the books The Plot Against the President and the Permanent Coup, Lee Smith. Lee, so what else is new? Uh, yeah, it's not surprising that, I mean, that, I mean, this happens in other administrations. What we're looking at with the Biden White House is that this seems to be uh, extensive, that it's happened more than uh, much more than any time in the past. I mean, the the pick there that really sticks out to me is Jeff Flake. So now all of the people who are going to go back and now not many people who were lauding uh, then Senator Flake for his integrity and nobility in opposing Donald Trump, they might have a little clearer idea who Jeff Flake actually is, right? It was a, if you go against Trump, you'll be heavily rewarded. And this is his reward. He gets to go to Ankara now and represent the United States in front of a very important NATO ally. And it's quite obvious, seeing the, the, the temperament and the political sensibility of Jeff Flake, the man is totally um, ill-equipped. You're so right. And this is probably what Liz Cheney is going to be doing next year, right? Once they, she gets fired, she'll be ambassador to somewhere. But Biden's picks, as you said, this is the highest percentage we've ever seen. It was 53 percent are actually political appointees, not just Democrats, but also so-called Republicans that aren't Republicans, they really are Democrats, and they're going to be representing foreign policy now. 
Right. Well, first of all, you said something interesting about Liz Cheney. No, Liz Cheney is going to run for president. I <laughs> mean, she so? believes absolutely. Jeb Bush, she believes 0%. this is this is this is what a lot lot of people uh, a lot of people on the Hill are talking about this. I mean, that tells you how delusional these monsters are. But that she believes her seat on the January sixth. Uh, committee or, and her her role opposing Trump will win her the hearts of the 75 never Trump figures spread out across America, and that will guarantee her the nomination. That's how delusional and twisted these people are. But yeah, the problem with American foreign policy, the problem with representing American foreign policy, it's not in the it's not in the Foreign Service, and it's not even with these ambassadors right now. It's the nature of American foreign policy. Right. If you look at what happened, uh, how the Biden administration ran the withdrawal from Afghanistan thing. But there's another thing as well. How are any ambassadors going to explain what's happening in the United States? Right. Whether these are political appointments or whether these are foreign service officers, because the United States in its uh, diplomatic toolkit has always liked to push democracy. These are our values. These are our you know, this is what distinguishes us from other uh, from our adversaries, for instance, the Islamic Republic of Iran or the People's Republic of China. However, if you look at what ha if you look at what the Biden administration is doing domestically, there are lots of people around the world who might ask, "What are the Americans doing?" Right? The Americans are threatening uh, millions and millions of American workers, American companies that if they don't get this vaccine, if they don't take this uh, experimental medication, they won't have a job. So that, that that's that's the heavy pull. It's not just about the directionless or the, the catastrophes of American foreign policy. It's representing this country at this moment, this administration abroad. That's something that no political appointee or foreign service officer is prepared to do at this, especially the foreign service officers who've been, who've been uh, spoon fed the idea of the American difference. What is the American difference? And then that brings up another issue. What are our ambassadors going to be talking about with the people, uh, with the government of Australia at this point, which is it's an authoritarian state. Right. So lots of things have changed. It's time for a very thorough uh, reevaluation of what American foreign policy looks like. And I certainly hope that uh, America first policymakers, I hope that America first uh, officials are looking at what this means for America going forward. So it's not just the problems with who Joe Biden is sending abroad to represent America. It's what America represents at this point under this administration. It's so frightening. The deep state really is running foreign policy right now because the incompetence coming out when you realize now China's making moves, North Korea's making moves, we have no standing except to run away right now. That's our only real foreign policy is to retreat and get top headlines in the news cycle every night. That's all the Biden administration wants. And it's it's frightening to see we don't have real leaders anymore. We still do. They're just not in their political power positions. But we're going to fix that next year. Lee, thank you for what you're doing to expose the swamp again when you see it. It's not surprising. But when you read the details, it's just who do they think they're fooling? But they are fooling some Senate Republicans, you know, so I guess it's working. And coming up next on The Real Story, fiscal infighting between Democrats over Biden's $3.5 trillion budget boondoggle and the administration's latest efforts to weaponize the IRS. We'll have the latest when The Real Story continues.
Watch OAN live on cloudtv.com and see what you're missing. Download the Cloud TV app and watch One America News Network wherever you go. Visit klowdtv.com today. That's klowdtv.com today. Chuck Schumer says he's moving, quote, full speed ahead with this package. Will he have your vote? And that's fine. He can. He will not have my vote on 3.5, and Chuck knows that. Many of us made a major compromise in going from the $6 trillion uh, bill that we wanted, supported by the overwhelming majority of Democrats, down to 3.5. We spent $5.4 trillion, and a lot of that really continues way into next year. We haven't dispersed it all. I think a strategic pause is necessary right now. There's no way we can get this done by by the 27th, if we do our job. Well, I mean, a few days here or there, it doesn't matter. But there is a sense of urgency. I'm willing to find that balance. But, you know, to do it in seven days, mm-hmm. to come back and do it in one week, when we don't have... Are you hard now? On the 3.5? Yes. yes. Democrat infighting over Biden's massive $3.5 trillion budget boondoggle. West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin is standing firm so far in his opposition to the liberal progressive wish list, a wish list that advances phony climate policies like the Green New Deal and expands so-called social welfare programs, including child care and health care. Senator Manchin is holding out, calling for more time to study the long-term effects and citing concerns about inflation and debt on existing government programs. Manchin penned an op-ed on the subject earlier this month in the Wall Street Journal, writing, Instead of rushing to spend trillions on new government programs and additional stimulus funding, Congress should hit a strategic pause on the budget reconciliation legislation. Manchin goes on to say, While some have suggested this reconciliation legislation must be passed now, I believe that making budgetary decisions under artificial political deadlines never leads to good policy or sound decisions. I've always said if I can't explain it, I can't vote for it, and I can't explain why my Democratic colleagues are rushing to spend $3.5 trillion. Manchin's rationale and attention to fiscal responsibility is, of course, confounding his fellow Democrats, especially Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, who claims every single penny is needed to save America. To take, where would you cut? Child care? family medical leave paid for, universal pre-K, home health care, so important. Home health care gives people with disabilities more leverage in any negotiation at a higher dollar amount than ever before, in the hundreds of billions of dollars. That's very, very important, not only to the persons with disability, but to their caregivers and who are now able to go to work and the caregivers who come in to take care of them. So not only do Nancy and her corrupt cronies want more of your money, they also want to keep closer tabs on the cash you keep on hand. Now, this is truly disturbing. Under the guise of bringing in more tax revenue, Team Biden wants to weaponize banks and other financial institutions, making any deposit or withdrawal of more than $600 reportable to the IRS. The proposal prompting Congressman Tom Emmer to pen a letter Monday addressed to Speaker Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Jeanette Yellen, as well as the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee and the IRS commissioner, signed by more than 120 of his fellow congressional representatives. The letter reads in part, We are concerned about a recent IRS data collection proposal 
to increase tax information reporting requirements on financial institutions, which we do not believe are necessary or helpful towards closing the tax gap. The recent spending proposal to include new tax information reporting requirements for financial institutions would not only impose significant compliance costs on our banks, credit unions, and related financial institutions that have served as the backbone of this economy these past 18 months, but also infringe on the privacy of millions of Americans. And joining us now with more on this blatant example of government overreach, the congressman representing Texas's first congressional district, Congressman Louis Gohmert. Mr. Congressman, why do we want the IRS keeping a database on all of us that can be hacked? Well, we don't. You don't. I don't. And anybody that even is a rhino Republican should not want that to happen. Uh, what it is is a move by the Marxists to take us ever closer to the government controlling everything. Uh, and in fact, we've already had a hearing uh, the end of last week in Natural Resources. They're wanting some of that three and a half trillion to buy more land, to be more socialist in the way we approach uh, the land in this country. And even today, we've had a hearing uh, on uh, the, in the Judiciary Committee. And you've got uh, Democrats, every single Democrat said, no, 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 we want to allow people with more than 10 DWIs to come into the country. You know, we want to give that, that opportunity. Uh, so there is so much in this bill that is going to be damaging that has nothing to do with economics. And by the way, another thing that we took on in this bill, trying to amend it, uh, to deal with people coming into this country with COVID. Uh, if it's only 6%, as some have said, that are coming in illegally with COVID, then uh, that's about 120,000 uh, people with COVID that the Biden administration has shipped all over the country. If it's 20%, like some have said, then it's about 400,000. And they're saying, oh, it's a great economic boon to the country. It's going to help us. Uh, look, they're talking garbage. It makes no sense. And when they start talking about monitoring six hundred dollar uh, purchases, it is the government. It's big brother, although on the House floor we can't say brother or sister, uh, big sibling on steroids. It is outrageous. And also, Natalie, keep in mind, you know, the law that was passed years ago that required banks to spy to the government, to, to squeal to the government on any financial transaction, $10,000 or more. And actually, they squealed some. If somebody has 9000 it looks like, oh, maybe they're trying to, to keep it just under the 10000 so it's not reported. Banks have been forced to spy on people for years. And if that were, I was told that that translated into to dollars today after all the years of inflation, it's more like sixty or seventy thousand dollars. And now they're wanting to bring that clear down to six hundred dollar transactions. I mean, this is the ultimate government uh, Orwellian move by the Biden administration, and it should not be tolerated. People need to be up in arms. Our, our senior citizens are ultimately going to be screwed over by this. 
people on, on fixed incomes, people, the lower uh, hardworking folks, the lower income folks, they're going to be squeezed. As the more I see of this bill, it is such an invasion into our privacy rights. Uh, it, it needs to be stopped. I'm so glad you're focusing on this. Absolutely. Well, thank you for what you're doing fighting on this. Do you think Manchin is going to be able to stall this overall, or is this all part of his game where then he just gets whatever he wants? Uh, well, it could be part of the game. I've had another senator tell me that they've never seen a time when Manchin took a stand that he didn't cave right. uh or the Democrats uh, toward the end, but I am really hoping he's going to stand firm on this. And and really, Natalie, I think that if he doesn't stand firm on this, we'll see the end of uh, Manchin. This will be his last term if he does not stand firm on this outrageous bill. You're right. He's no moderate. If he can't stand up for the people really of this country right now, when you look at so many different issues with him, he loves to be the one person that can make the difference, then make that difference because caving, you're not going to make a difference if you just cave. But Mr. Congressman, thank you for fighting on this. Keep us posted because it's just frightening to see what the Democrats do with it blank is. checks with our own money and where it's going to lead. It's a frightening thought. Thanks for being so on top of this issue. Absolutely. Thanks, Keep us posted, Mr. Congressman. God bless you Thank as you, you fight. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. And well, the Democrats may be focused on spending more of our money, but you want to know what they're really focused on today and tomorrow? The California recall. So will it happen? Carl DeMaio joins us next with his predictions. So don't go anywhere. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Watch OAN live on cloudtv.com and see what you're missing. Download the Cloud TV app and watch One America News Network wherever you go. Visit KLOWDTV.com today. That's KLOWDTV.com today. Well, tomorrow's the big day. Will California actually recall Gavin Newsom? Of course, since every registered voter in California, all 22 million of them, were so conveniently sent unsolicited mail-in ballots... We probably won't know the answer to that question on Election Day. Because Tuesday isn't Election Day, as Gavin Newsom has been saying since mid-August, every day is Election Day. But based on what we do know, how could this end up? Well, if elections are free and fair, and that's a big, big if right now in the state of California, 46.5% of registered voters are Democrats, 24.1% are Republicans, and 23.3% are Independents. Now, what's interesting about this election is the fact that, unlike the Democrats would have us believe, this is not a Republican recall. This is an anti-lockdown recall. And not just Republicans, but Democrats and Independents are for it. And as long as 50% are for recalling Newsom, then one of the 46 candidates running to replace him, whoever gets the most votes, doesn't have to cross 50%, will be the next governor of California. And Barack Obama, you know, just can't have that. Because Californians... You need Gavin Newsom to protect you. Hello, Californians. You've got a big choice to make by September 14th. Governor Newsom has spent the past year and a half protecting California communities. Now Republicans are trying to recall him from office and overturn common sense COVID safety measures for healthcare workers and school staff. Your vote could be the difference between protecting our kids and putting them at risk, helping Californians recover or taking us backwards. Protect California by voting no on the Republican recall.
And just in case that was not enough to motivate California voters, Biden, who is 2020 proved, is just so much more popular than Obama, is campaigning for him too, making a special trip to the Golden State just to see if eight circles could be enough to pull Newsom across the finish line. But if that's not enough to make the difference, never fear. There's always the opportunity to cast other people's ballots before the voters themselves have the chance to do so, which, surprise, surprise, is already happening. Anyone else feeling a sense of deja vu? Several people tell us they showed up to vote this morning in the special California governor recall election and were told that computers showed they had already cast their ballots. So what? Staffers, they say, were apologetic and helpful, but those voters we talked to are extremely concerned, suspicious, and wanting answers. I went to El Camino High School to vote, got there at 1030, gave her this, and she scanned it and said, you voted. And I said, no, I haven't. And she said, this has been happening all morning. The man next to me was arguing the same thing. So as I left, I did the provisional ballot. And left. I'm just really angry. And I saw two women walking toward me as I left. And I said, don't be surprised if they tell you you've already voted. And she said, they've already done that. If I voted, how did I vote? And who did you vote for? Well, I asked the couple, the young women that I talked to, and I said, are you by any chance Republicans? She said, yes. And I said, well, so am I. And so are the two friends that had the problem at VFW. Joining us now with more on this, Chairman of Reform California, Carl DeMaio. Carl, President Trump is weighing in on the recall. We're going to put up on the screen his statement today. He says, does anyone believe that California recall election isn't rigged? Millions and millions of mail-in ballots will make this just another giant election scam. No different, but less blatant than the 2020 presidential election scam. Carl, it's rigged. Well, I, I got to say, it's always been a David versus Goliath fight in this state. And the way in which the Democrats are conducting this election has to make you wonder, are they begging people to cheat? There are very few internal controls. There are always convenient mishaps, but it's not a mishap when it always seems to disenfranchise a Republican voter. And that's what we're finding across the state of California. The uh, situation at El Camino High School is only one of many complaints that our campaign has been fielding about uh, voter suppression, people being told that they're already, they've already voted, people who have voted weeks ago through the mail and have been tracking their ballot, uh, monitoring it and finding that the registrar of voters claims they haven't received it yet, and it was weeks ago that they gave it to the uh, Postal Service. So here's what I'm urging all Californians. Don't believe the hype. Get out and vote, because I get a daily report at our campaign, the Yes on Recall campaign, and this is still a winnable election, only 35% turnout so far, which is way down. It is way below what the, the, the phony polls have been showing, uh, favorable turnout for Gavin Newsom. It's just not materializing for Gavin Newsom. So I urge all Republican voters, all Democrats and independents who, who support the recall of Governor Newsom, turn out and vote. Let's send an overwhelming message. And it is still a possibility for us to win. And I actually think uh, we are going to win this election, even with all the uh, snafus and shenanigans going on with the election out here. 
but we're not going to know the vote tomorrow. They're going to keep counting for the next week, most likely. Who knows how long it could go on for. How long do you think this is going to end up taking? And then if it goes to the courts, how long is it going to take to sort all this out? Well, let me just say that tomorrow night at 8.05, when the first results are released by the state of California, I fully expect we are going to be down probably by double digits. Uh, however, I, I led the campaign against uh, the uh, last California state official who was recalled from office. I led the campaign against Prop 15 last year, the big tax increase. And what we saw in both those elections is we added to our margin each and every turn in. So I fully expect we will probably be down in the balloting on the first uh, turn in, uh, the initial votes, the absentee votes. But day of voting is going to be very good for us. A lot of Republicans, a lot of conservative independents and Democrats are voting yes on election day because they don't trust the mail-in ballots. And then we'll see where we go from there. But I do agree with you. I do believe that this will be several days, right. if not weeks, of counting. And we are fully prepared to litigate if necessary. Well, good. Carl, I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of you in the coming days. It's so sad when nobody learns their lesson or they just get better at cheating going forward. But at least the people of California are being aware and reporting what they're seeing. And hopefully, you know, again, you can always hope you don't like being jaded at this point, but it does feel very rigged. But we'll see what happens. Keep us posted. Thanks so much. Thank you. And before we go, as the calendar, but not our hearts, move on from 9-11, there's a story that President Trump shared at the Let Us Worship Day of Prayer for America that is as timeless as the calling is upon each of our lives. For in death, the beloved chaplain known as Father Mike indeed showed us how to live. As black smoke was billowing from across the Potomac at the Pentagon and the skies of New York were full of ash and flame, a lone figure stood at a window near the base of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. Father Michael Judge was the chaplain of a New York City fire station. When the first plane struck the World Trade Center, he raced inside knowing the danger. Video testimony shows him standing still at the large window looking at people falling to their deaths. A friend and fellow priest later recounted that if you watch carefully, you can see the father's lips moving. For those of us who know him, the friend said he wasn't one that talked to himself. He was praying. Moments later, the South Tower collapsed and the implosion shattered the glass window and killed Father Mike. The day before he died, Father Mike spoke at the dedication of a New York City fire station. Before a group of firefighters, he shared a message that echoes across all time. You do what God called you to do, he told them. You show up. You put one foot in front of the other. You get on the rig and you go out and you do the job, which is a mystery. You have no idea what God has calling for you. You have no idea where you're going, and in some cases, you don't know why. But he needs you. He needs me. He needs all of us. Tonight, Father Mike's words remind us that in the end, there is only one true answer to the depth and the evil that we saw on September 11th. It is God that is the answer that stood tall over the wreckage at Ground Zero, 
where rescuers forged the mighty steel cross from the fallen tower's broken beams. It is the same site that was seen hundreds of miles away in Shanksville, where the first spontaneous memorial to the heroes of Flight 93 was a simple but beautiful wooden cross. And it is this same turning to God, the ultimate answer to evil, that we see here today as thousands of Americans gather on the Mall to pray for our beloved nation and to pray for one another. Your faith is a force that our enemies can never, ever extinguish. Your love of God, family, and country is more powerful than any adversary's hatred or malice or scorn. So as we remember those Americans we lost two decades ago, we return again and again to the same simple prayer that was heard echoing all across our land in the days after the September 11th attacks. God bless our first responders. God bless our service members. God bless the memory of all who died on 9-11. And God bless America. Amen. Thanks again for starting your week and ending your day by tuning out the fake news and tuning in for the real story. So together, we can break down the news as it should be, of, by, and for the people. That's us. Have a great rest of your night. I'll see you tomorrow. So until then, as always, keep the faith and save America. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. And hello again from WJ Live, powered by the Western Journal. You're joining us for a special episode today because actually WJ Live is not live. <laughs> this is a pre-recorded episode. The first one uh, I think we've done in months and months and months. The reason, we're getting a new set. So stay tuned. We're going to have some cool new digs to show you, I'm hoping, by the end of the week. But for now, this is taped just a couple of hours before our normal airtime. And uh, joining me on this taped episode on my left, Grant Atkinson. Uh, he is a new reporter at the Western Journal. And on my right, Caleb Gina. He's a new assignment editor. This is Caleb's second time on the show. So we're thrilled to have him. We've got three big topics today uh, that we have been following in the news and I think are going to be particularly interesting to those of you who are watching. First off, we have got polling that is, uh, well, no, no, no. First off, we have got, <laughs> we have got information about a UFC fight. Uh, if you saw that graphic roll up there for just a moment, uh, this is another leftist victory for feminism, or is it? We've got a transgender fighter actually bloodying a female fighter. We'll be talking about that. We'll also be talking about polling. Uh, if you ask me, I think we're looking at more and more of a potential red wave in 2022, and that wave may still be going in 2024. We've got polling data to back that up that you're not going to want to miss. But first off, Caleb, you are going to be talking with us about uh, uh, President Biden's vaccine mandate. 
It turns out that there's already an exception to the mandate. It's for a special class of people. Tell us about it. That's right. Uh, we at the Western Journal have a tendency to identify one of government's worst habits, which is the rules apply for thee and the rules do not apply for me. So on Thursday, when the vaccine business mandate was expanded to include any business that has 100 or more employees, which they also threatened them with very punishing fines of $14,000 per infraction, there was a rather large population of people that these rules don't apply for. And guess what? It's all of our elected officials, Congress, the judiciary branch, and all of their requisite staffers. So I think we were all very surprised on Thursday when this order came down because this was a massive expansion of government power. People it's, didn't know it was going to be this big, sure. did they? Th I, they were thinking something smaller scale. Absolutely. I think we all waited for an opportunity where the Biden administration was going to ramp this up, but you were almost waiting for some type of pretext where there was going to be 300,000 cases or some other hysteria that would kind of fuel them or give them the political capital to make such a bold move. But they just decided to do it anyways. And I think part of the conversation we've been having here at the office, and uh, maybe this is done in an effort to distract from the Afghanistan surrender and all of the news that's uh, associated with that, or from 9-11, where a lot of the victims' families don't want Biden participating in all of the memorials. So it does feel somewhat strategic that the administration decided to roll this policy out in the midst of those uh, external circumstances. But we just did some numbers like looking at how many businesses would be impacted by this ruling, and our low estimate is about 170,000 American businesses mm. now are being squeezed by this federal mm. mandate. Mm. And it's something that also is going to put a lot of restraints on their business in that they have to figure out a way to get everyone tested. So that's going to take time away from productivity. They're going to have also issues where maybe certain people have religious or medical exemptions that are now going to be completely glossed over. Yet the American people, you know, Joe Sixpack is the one who's going to have to deal with all of this. And yet our elected officials, the ones who enjoy lifetime pension and security and every type of benefit you can imagine, yeah. they're the ones that aren't going to be influenced by this at all. So my question to you two is, is this surprising considering just the Biden administration has exhibited somewhat of a blatant arrogance throughout their tenure? Or is this just something where they're thinking most of the American people are not going to be paying attention to this news and this will just get lost in the rancor of the 24-hour news cycle? To me, it's a, it's a sort of a pattern that has gone on since the beginning of COVID and now it's continuing, um, in my opinion, after the COVID pandemic has reached its peak. Yes, we still have cases. I believe that the pandemic in itself is no longer a pandemic as it's defined. It's a disease that we will have to live with. Um, but as we are now well over a year into this pandemic, I think that we're continuing to see the pattern repeat. It started towards the beginning in March 2020, the months that were kind of near around there. I'm not sure exactly when this happened, but we saw videos coming out of you know, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, going to a salon and getting her, her hair done. We saw her showing us a, a great video of, of her ice cream freezer, all the, all the things that she's able to enjoy while other Americans don't have jobs because of or their Newsom terrible policies. Laundry. That right. was the other Newsom, one that yeah. made big news. I mean, so many of these 
um, maybe not even national elected officials who we're talking about, not congressional people, but uh, some of them are. Some of them are even governors or people who are making rules in their own states. And we saw health officials in California as well doing the same thing, um, not having to abide by the very rules that they have either personally put in place or that they have at least championed and said that these are great ideas. And so I think that this is a continuation of that. And they were all, I, I think, to a one, they were all Democrat governors. Mm -hmm. And then we saw Democrat mayors. It was it the mayor of Baltimore who tweeted that everyone needed to stay locked down, stay <laughs> inside, don't go outside. I think he tweeted that from the tarmac as he was about to fly down to <laughs> Barbados or something. I can't, uh, I may not have all of those details exactly uh, right, but it was something like that. Uh, and and so, yeah, that's one of the problems when you impose onerous burdens and, and lots of rules on the American people. Uh, your tendency is to not want to abide by them either. And if you're in power, you can get away with that, which essentially is this. I mean, yeah, what was the takeaway from Animal Farm? All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. And it's it's got to be good if you're Congress, man. You don't have to have... You don't have to be vaccinated. That's really that's kind of nice if you if you don't want to be vaccinated. Um, you don't have to worry about the police being defunded because you've got your own. You know, your yeah, own you security. have a personal security detail. Don't have to worry so. about that. If you if you didn't have a personal security detail, you know, most of those folks make enough money that they could uh, they could have their own personal security detail, just like the folks in Hollywood do. The people who are for defunding the police and who are against. Um, uh, against the Second Amendment and your right to self-defense. So all of these guys, it must be great to be a member of one of those protected classes. Uh, and when you talk about privilege, when they talk about privilege, they're really talking about the wrong group. They make it a racial, uh, a racial thing that there are certain privileges that go with different races. I would argue that's not the case at all. There are different privileges depending on your politics. That's that's what really, really privilege looks like. And depending on the amount of wealth you have. Um, so anyway, your question was, does this surprise you? And uh, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. It surprises me that Congress subjects itself to any of the laws that they pass. For a long time, that was a that was a constitutional amendment that was that was out there. People wanted to pass an amendment that said Congress had to uh, abide by was subject to all of the laws that that it passed, and and that's not made any progress. Um, yeah, yeah two, so I'm not surprised at all. Two other uh, relevant points I just want to make real quick before we move on. Uh, the USA Today reported that one out of five Congress people have not been vaccinated. So this is unconfirmed. This isn't something we're going to say is like a gospel truth. One out of five haven't. Have not so been vaccinated. So 20% haven't been vaccinated. So this is not some insignificant number of people where it's like, oh, one or two are off the hook here. Like there are actual people that are impacted by this decision. And something else I think is interesting to mention is uh, Nancy Pelosi was quoted in April saying that she doesn't have the authority to require her fellow members of Congress to get the shot. But I just see the irony in that being the Biden administration likely does not have the authority to mandate private businesses to force their employees to get the shot. So she's saying that, oh, we don't have the operating space for this, yet they're willing to plow ahead with something that's blatantly unconstitutional as long as it doesn't apply to them. So clearly the rules are only a function of does it benefit us at this time. And I just think this is a very disappointing 
display from our elected officials. And at the very least, they should be held account for such a hypocritical decision. Well, I think it's kind of also a, a tacit admission that the mandate is a bad idea. Like if it's such a great idea and it's so helpful and it's going to stop the spread of the pandemic, we know that all those things are likely not true. We've seen that vaccines, while they might stop um, serious illness and death, they don't stop the spread of the pandemic. And that's a whole nother conversation. But if this vaccine mandate is so great and it's such a godsend fix for this entire pandemic, then why would they even have a need to say we don't want to subject ourselves to this? Why are there 20 percent of Congress members reportedly who haven't gotten the vaccine? Maybe because they're not actually buying all the crap that they're putting out there. I mean, if if this is such a great idea, why does there need to be exceptions for the very people who are pushing these ideas? I don't understand. Yeah, that. if it's a good idea, wouldn't you want, doesn't it make sense that you would subject yourself to yeah. it as, as well? Uh, the, yeah, the hypocrisy there is, is truly remarkable to me, but it's not, it's not unexpected at mm -hmm. this point. And that's, I mean, look, that is the issue with the political class. That's the issue with the elites. Um, really, the kind of the, the lines in America are being redrawn right now. It is far less about Republicans and Democrats anymore, and it is far more about the elite metropolitan uh, liberals and leftists and more about the heartland flyover country uh, rural conservatives. And it, it's an enormous problem because you've got a, the group of people with most of the wealth uh, has been corrupted by the left and co-opted by the, well, the left, and they have the ability to make laws for all the rest of us. And this was federalism is supposed to take care of this, where you handle most law at the state and local level, and that would fix it. Then uh, Arkansas could have whatever sort of uh, uh, laws it wants, whatever sort of legal system it wants. And Connecticut could have another one, and and then if you're if you're on the left, you move up to Connecticut if you want to. If you feel like you just can't stand being around Arkansans anymore, and if you're for small government, you can move to the South, move to Arkansas, move to Texas, Louisiana. Um, but that's really not what has worked. What has happened because the left is not content to let anyone else be free. Uh, a society is not just, as far as the left's concerned, unless the left controls all of it. And that, that runs against the idea of federalism and republicanism in general. Uh, so remember, folks, all animals are equal. But as long as you've got elites in D.C. who think that they're better than everybody else, uh, then some animals will be more equal than others. Thank you, Orwell. So let's shift from that. It's very clear that the American public is on to what's happening here. They realize there are two different, uh, to borrow from the Democrats, there are kind of two different Americas right now, one for the elites and one that's not. And that is showing up in polling, and it's showing up in a place that should absolutely terrify Democrats, and that is with independents. As we have, have known for, or as has been argued for years, you don't really win based on your base you win based on convincing the folks in the middle. Now, that's pretty popular common knowledge. Rush Limbaugh always disagreed with that. I'm not positive where I land on it. But to the extent that independents are important, the Democrats are in enormous trouble. New polling information out from Trafalgar. We got this this morning. And I, I'm going to read you a couple of these statistics. So first off, 
the majority of American voters say Biden doesn't have the constitutional authority to impose those vaccine mandates. Now, 83.5% of Republicans say that. 27% of Democrats say that. Now, here's the killer. 68% of independents say that. Mm. So 68%, more than two-thirds of independents say Biden doesn't have the authority to do what he just did. Now, large majorities of independent and Republican voters support governors fighting to block Biden's mandate. Similar stats, 78.5% of Republicans say they support state governors in trying to block it. 30% of Democrats say they support. 56% of independents say they support. Two more. The majority of America's voters believe uh, the mandate sets a dangerous precedent that could be a few, uh, abused by future presidents. 80% of Republican voters say, say yes. 58% of independents say yes. 30% of, of uh, Democrats say yes. Now, if Trafalgar's info wasn't bad enough, let me quote from the Washington Times this morning. A new CNN poll finds that 74% of U.S. adults now say they are, quote, very or somewhat angry about the way things are going in the U.S. That includes 88% of Republicans and 70% of independents. Another 69% of U.S. adults now say that things are going pretty or very badly that includes in the country. That includes 91% of Republicans and 72% of independents and, heaven help them, 49% of Democrats. Illegal immigration is still a concern along these lines. The CNN survey found that 77% of U.S. adults say it's important for the federal that the federal government stops the movement of undocumented immigrants into the U.S. Here's the partisan breakdown. 95% of Republicans say that, 52% of Democrats, 76% of independence. Mm. So, fellas, we're now beginning to think about 2022. Folks are gearing up for that. On the other side of the holidays, you're really going to see it gear up. If I'm a Democrat and I'm looking at these numbers, what, what do I feel? Well, your stomach is turning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The bottom line is, is something I think we talked about in one of our meetings here relatively recently is there's a lot of people due to the Afghanistan surrender that have woken up from their slumber when it comes to American politics. And it's just even expanding just beyond Afghanistan where people go to the pump and they see the prices and they're like, this is way more than I was paying last year. Or somebody wants to do a remodel on their home and they're saying these raw materials cost way more than I would have had to pay otherwise. Yeah. So when all of these political issues all of a sudden start to head downstream and affect people in the granular decisions they make in their life, I think that's what we're seeing bore out in the math. Yeah. Is it's just translating outside the DC beltway in the 24 hour news cycle and is now becoming table conversation yeah. at dinner with everyone at the, uh, in their own homes. So I think the American people notice what's happening and as much as the White House wants to continue to move on, move the goalposts or just try and switch issues, a lot of their dysfunction is coming home to roost. I went to Home Depot over the weekend and uh, was thinking about replacing the pegboard in my garage because the 180-degree Phoenix summer <laughs> is causing it to ripple. And I was stunned. A two-foot two by four-foot section of pegboard costs, I think, 16 bucks now. Jeez. 
Um, and I, it was just just unbelievable. I was trying to replace the floor in a um, in a cabinet in the cabinet under the sink at the house, and a three quarter inch thick uh, four by uh, four foot by two inch piece of plywood cost. There were some of it there costing, I think, fifty bucks. Mm. It's unbelievable. So let's say you're a Democrat, you're running for office, you are well aware of what uh, what the polling shows. What do you do, Grant? Um, I think that the other than pray, <laughs> except you're <laughs> yeah. a Democrat, Switch so parties, you don't maybe? believe in God. Yeah, so I, you're kind of <laughs> screwed. I um, I'm trying to think of what yeah, I or switch parties where you yeah can believe switch in God. parties yeah. um become an independent run as an independent I I don't know there's not a lot of options I think that the Lieberman approach <laughs> I think that the reason that Democrats should be really concerned is that this is not an isolated topic that independents feel. Um, that they're siding a lot more with Republicans on. It's, yeah, it's, it's all over every the board. Topic. It's all yeah. over the board. It's, you, you talk about uh, wanting to distract, the Biden administration wanting to d- distract from their Afghanistan debacle that they've created by going to COVID. Uh, there's plenty of polling that says that Biden's Afghanistan withdrawal is a complete disaster. Independents side with Republicans way more on that. So he switched to COVID. Now you have independents siding with Republicans on COVID. 75%. So, so it's like every every issue that they try to switch the attention on, yeah. it doesn't matter because Biden is still so terrible of a president that independents don't like what he does. And in, there's, no, yeah. there's nowhere for Biden to turn and pin his... Hopes on because everything he's doing is so terrible that nobody is agreeing with it. So, so Caleb, uh, just quickly, what do they do? What do the Democrats do to deal with this? Is well, there any way to deal with it? They'll probably declare a new holiday. That's what I would imagine. <laughs> they'll just find some obscure date and they'll be like, oh, well, this is a new national holiday. Everybody gets a day off and look at us, benevolent big government. <laughs> Uh, giving you, you know, a little bit of time off from work. That's what I think. So essentially the Gavin Newsom approach will give you something, will give you money, which essentially is what Newsom did, trying to buy his way out of the recall. I think thinking they're just going to try to try to open up the, the, the floodgates from heaven and give people stuff. I mean, it's a little tongue in cheek, but I think when it comes to delivering results, we know yeah. this administration is incapable of even yeah. living up to yeah. its own yeah. promises, yeah. of which the three yeah. of us what on this panel done? do what not want them to do off? in the first yeah. place. I feel like eventually the Democrats who want to have a legitimate chance in elections, especially in like purple states, you're going to have blue states like California who are going to just vote for them anyway. But if Democrats want to make progress with these independents, I think their only option that's starting to look more and more likely is that they're going to have to distance themselves from the Biden administration. Yeah. I I mean, I don't, I don't see another option for them. So then the question we've got to move on. Then the question becomes what in the world happens in 2024? Mm -hmm. Are the Democrats just doomed? Uh, And frankly, I I think, I hope and I pray that they are. (laughs) Uh, So that's all right. So that's polling. Um, So let's talk about, so we've talked about politics. Let's talk about social issues now. Uh, one of the themes here is that middle America is truly waking up to the Dems game, to the left's game. And maybe nowhere is that more apparent than what's happening with the trans movement in sports. And Grant, you've got a pretty, uh, well, it's, a, it's a pretty brutal story here. It's, it's pretty disturbing, honestly, what happened on Friday night and kind of got covered a lot this weekend. 
I would say sort of went viral on Twitter from a lot of different outlets reporting it. Uh, there was a man, his name is Alana McLaughlin. He's a 38-year-old man who believes he is a woman, has taken hormone therapy and things to supposedly transition to a woman. Obviously, that's not a thing that can happen in the real world. You can't become a woman, but he is decided— You can't change your chromosomes. You, you, you can't do you can't that. change your chromosomes. But he has decided he's going to be a woman, and the left has decided that they're going to treat him as a woman. And that has gone so far as to say that he can now compete as a female MMA fighter. In a combat sport competing against other women, he is now allowed to punch them, choke them, kick them, hit them, whatever he would like to do because he has decided that he is a woman and so he's going to be competing in this combat sport. Now, this is not a guy who had puberty blockers and started this transition when he was six years old. God help us. Correct. This is Correct. this is somebody. He has full male masculine testosterone, he is a, bone and muscle structure. He is a former U.S. Special Forces soldier. Good, he was in the U.S. Gosh. Army. There are pictures of him. I didn't. I didn't pull one up. But there are pictures of him when he was in the army. He's absolutely jacked. Probably weighs well over two hundred pounds. Super muscular. Clearly a man. Grown man. And he just decided he was going to start doing this transition. I think it, I don't have the exact date, but I think it was within the last five to 10 years he decided he was going to do this. He's 38 years old. But the point so. is, he has all the benefits testosterone confers. Right, exactly, as exactly. Far as physical prowess. So he finally found himself an opponent. Her name was Staline Provost. Um, they were fighting in Miami, Florida during a preliminary fight. Um, and there's a picture of him. He, he ended up winning in the second round by submission. He choked out the woman. Um, there's a picture that we'll pull up here of him brutally choking this woman. Um, you can see how helpless she appears to be. Bloodied. Yes. Bloodied. She's literally bloodied. And that, that's another argument, too, that this man, McLaughlin, tried to make, is that he said... He was hit some a couple of times in the first round. So obviously it's not that he's so much better of a fighter than the woman because he got hit a couple of times. What really happened was if you watch the video, which I did, unfortunately, I wouldn't really recommend it because it's pretty disturbing. But if you watch the video, what happens is he clearly does not know how to be an MMA fighter. This is his debut fight. He's undisciplined I would say as a fighter and so yes he gets hit in the face a couple times by this woman who is a trained MMA fighter and who's been doing MMA fights for her entire life so or not her entire life but for a long time during her career and so she knows what she's doing she hits him a couple times then in the second round when he ends up winning you see him land a couple of serious punches that clearly rock this woman he eventually picks her up throws her to the ground and then begins choking her out so this argument of well i got hit a couple times in the first round um really to me doesn't carry any weight because just because you got hit in the first round doesn't mean that you're not much stronger yeah. and much more able-bodied than a yeah. woman because that's how god created you um so I guess my question to you guys is we've seen a lot of people, um, we have seen backlash, but we've also seen people praising it. There's an outlet called Pink News, which is an LGBT publication, and they published a headline calling McLaugh McLaughlin a trailblazer. A, hero, a, hero, a trailblazer, uh, a trailblazer, yeah. Hero, trailblazer, you know, I've seen all of those, that we type really of language. We really haven't made a lot of progress in culture as far as making it okay for people 
with male chromosomes to punch <laughs> people with female chromosomes. That, We're that, making pro he's blazing a trail, that, darn You it. know, that's actually what my question was going to be is, to me, it feels like seeing a picture of a transgender person beating up a woman that seems to fly directly in the face of this narrative of just let them just let them do whatever they want. It's not hurting anyone. They can they, if they want to be a woman, like it's fine. It doesn't concern you. Um, do you think that these images, these type of stories, are going to help or hurt the transgender movement? Real fast, Caleb. We're running out of time. So I think when it comes to the vast majority of our viewers and the American people, I would argue common sense still prevails. So when you see the footage, when you see the pictures, common sense kicks in and you say, this cannot be right. Mm -hmm. We can't be roundly applauding a woman absolutely having her clock cleaned on national television yeah. by a former spec ops troops who's getting paid mm -hmm. to inflict this damage upon her. So I think a big part of this stuff always goes back to optics. The optics were abhorrent. So if they think that this is gonna be some celebratory event, I think they're sadly mistaken. Mm -hmm. That's good. Uh, that'll have to be the last word on it because um, we are about to run long and we got a new set to take care of here. So that is super exciting. Uh, thank you, Caleb. Thank you, Grant. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you all for watching. We're very grateful to you. Someone asked online the other day, what, may I borrow your mug? Go, what they yeah. could do to get one of these cool... WJ Live mugs, and there's an easy way to do that. You can go to westernjournal.com slash join. That's westernjournal.com slash join. Sign up there, and uh, that is a way for you to partner with us to help support the journalism that we, uh, that we do day in and day out, and um, you will get the satisfaction of knowing you are helping with a good cause. But you'll also get a cool mug like this. Uh, so that's it for us. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click the subscribe button. After that, click the little bell that pops up. That'll make sure you get notified when we go live. No shadow banning for us or for you. Uh, that is it for Caleb, for Grant, for uh, everybody in the booth and in the newsroom. I'm Josh Manning. We are going to see you Wednesday again on WJ Live. The Western Journal is dedicated to equipping readers with the truth. We bring that same mission to you, our listeners, on WJ Live. If you like this episode, please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We premiere episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review to help us fight back against big tech. It helps our show reach even more people who want to hear something different than establishment media narratives. Thanks for listening. Episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. In the time before AT&T Fiber Internet... Shame! 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 What did you do, love? I ran out of internet data. And they're making your shame walk. No, it's just how I feel. Shame! Shame! 
in the time after AT&T Fiber Internet. Nice to have unlimited internet data, right? Right. The dawn of a better internet era with AT&T Fiber. Limited availability in select areas. Check eligibility at att.com slash fiber. Restrictions apply. It's time to put on your party hat at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort and Harris Cherokee Valley River Casino and Hotel. From the thrilling yet intimate experience of Harris Cherokee Valley River Casino and Hotel in Murphy, North Carolina, to the Vegas-style resort at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort in Cherokee, North Carolina, these destinations will brighten your day and light up your night. You must be 21 years of age or older to enter the casino floor and to gamble unless present a valid state or federal photo ID upon request. No one to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Enterprise of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. This is Talk Show You. What is up, everybody? Uh, Talk Show You, first time we are live. Uh, I'm pretty excited. This is my first time hosting one of these. Usually, if you guys see us on the uh, FL Sunday pre-show, it is Will hosting it, and he's probably much better at this than I am. And Dom did our uh, To The House. Or No, we didn't record for To The House, did we? We never. I don't think we ever recorded for two thousand. Uh, we did predictions. We recorded, yeah, we yeah, recorded we predictions. I left, I left like halfway through. But, That's right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we we recorded that. Uh, yep, your camera's off. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but we're we're gonna go ahead and go into the top news of the week, okay. um, which the first one that I saw on college football at ESPN was Texas is turning to Casey Thompson as their new starting quarterback um, after their loss against Arkansas. Are you surprised by that or not at all? Um, I wouldn't say that I'm surprised because I feel like they're a new team, obviously, with the new coach. And so I feel like this is going to happen regardless. Um, eventually they should commit to a quarterback. Uh, but you get blown out by a team, I feel like you're going to look for – something to change and if that's what they feel like they did to change then uh casey thompson's a little more experienced but obviously hudson card beat him out at the beginning of the season so obviously there's something they saw in hudson card but um i don't know i steve uh sark sark is uh he's pretty confident with or he, he likes the fact that he said uh he said that he enjoys that they're battling for it they're making it hard yeah. to choose and i'm like i don't know if that's a good thing but um, it is what it is. I mean, you got two good quarterbacks according to you know him, and so uh, I guess you can consider it's a good thing that you have depth there. But I don't know. Now it just seems confusing and could cause problems later. So you need to that I agree. Uh, you do have some history with uh, their new quarterback. New quarterback. Yeah. Am he I wrong? Played. Am I wrong in saying? Am I wrong in saying he, that? No, he played football. He played quarterback, obviously, at my alma mater, if you will, uh, Southmore High School. So, yeah. He is from so Southmore. He's from yeah. – Did you ever watch him? No, I did not watch our school, high school. You never watched team. You never watched a Southmore football game? I never went to a Southmore football game. In the four years that I went, wow. I never went to a football game. Wow, that is yeah. news to me. Breaking news. Did you go to uh, games? Yeah, well, you were in the band. So. Well, yeah, I was, I was in the fucking band. So, yeah, I, 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 didn't, I don't I think I had a choice. Uh, watched every <laughs> single loss that we had. So, uh, But yeah, yeah. Talking, on, talking on Texas losing to Arkansas, um, after Arkansas beat Texas, 
they were fine after obviously everything. Fans stormed the field after beating Texas, and after the fact, Arkansas was fined a hundred thousand uh, so dollars for the fans money. for the fans storming the field. What are your what are your COVID, thoughts? I, uh, I would assume because of COVID. Um, I think that uh, Will's over here saying we are better than those hockey people. Uh, <laughs> we're back. Thank you, Will, for tuning in. Uh, but I don't That's like the fine. Up on the top, the top. I don't like the fine at all. Uh, the fine? No, uh, I do. I think it's okay because of COVID. Like, if it's because of COVID, cool. If it's not because of COVID, and it's just because they rushed the field. Cry about it. What? What? Like, it's a rivalry. It's like let fans get into it. But if it's about COVID, then I understand. Yeah. Um, I do think hundred thousand is a big chunk of change. Choice, That's a lot of money. I mean, it's a big chunk of change. Let's be real. Arkansas isn't. I mean, it's it's still a Power Five school, so they make money, and it's SEC, so they they have money. Um, but still, hundred thousand dollars is pretty good amount. Pretty good amount. Also, did you see uh, Will's bringing it up? The Florida State player who proposed after losing to Jacksonville State. Did you see that? I did or not. No, I saw it. I, I saw it on Twitter. I saw it on Twitter. They, they lost I've Jacksonville State, anyway. and then he proposed. But I mean, like, okay, but she said yes. This, like, I assume. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she said yeah. She uh, probably. I mean, he lost the game. Like, I get that that's planned probably, and you should probably try to win the game. I don't remember what position. I, did, I didn't look. Yeah. I didn't look into it at all. Uh, you shouldn't lose that team anyway. <laughs> you shouldn't lose that game. Yeah, you shouldn't lose that team at all. Uh, but yeah, he proposed and after losing. So uh, another one was a And Aggies quarterback King is out with a crack in his lower leg. Uh, Jimbo Fisher did not have much at all to say about it. Um, no, I mean, they struggled against Colorado, so there's not much faith for me in that team. Uh, well, considering they have to play Bama, I don't yeah. see them getting. No, I don't see them going much further anyway. So, you know, plus I think Bama and Georgia are the obvious tops in that conference, and nobody else is competing right now with them. So, yep. Um, so it's not a huge deal, I think, but obviously, still, it sucks. Injuries suck. Injuries 100% suck. Uh, I should have shouted about at the beginning of the episode, but at the very bottom of down here, you guys can see all of our socials. Go ahead and follow us on there. We'll be going live hopefully every week now. Uh, if it's not posted on Sunday or not going live on Sunday morning, uh, we'll sun- try to do it Monday. So expect us to be live Sunday or Monday from now on for the uh, rest of the regular season and the playoffs. Yeah. What was that? Did you hear that? Yeah, I thought that was you. That was not me. There's no chance that was me. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get into the scores from last week. Um, it could be that video playing. Oh, that's just me. Uh, it could be that video playing. I don't think it is. Uh, maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, but going into the scores of last week, uh, Coastal Carolina takes on Kansas. They were ranked 17 going in, and they killed Kansas 49 to 22. Uh, is that surprising at all to you? I think it's Kansas- not super surprising. I, I think the most surprising thing for me is the fact that Kansas has shown improvement this year. I mean, yeah, still putting that up first, that first game they look good. Yeah, they obviously won for the first time since 2019. <laughs> Ridiculous, which, which is wild. Um, and that was the Friday, the only Friday night game uh, going on yeah. for week two. Uh, moving on to Saturday. We had Oklahoma Sooners, who fell to number four after barely passing Tulane last week, um, took on Western Carolina and wiped them. 
Uh, Spencer Rattler only played the first half, 20 for 26, 243 yards and five touchdowns. Um, had the backups come in second half, and they kind of just finished the job, really, and I think yeah. played pretty well for the second half, given it's against a Western Carolina team. Uh, but the yeah. ending score for that was 76 to nothing. Got skunked for that. I mean, I'm just glad we were able to score 31 points in the second half rather than just running the clock. I just, yep. I'm glad they decided to score rather than just letting it be. Yep. And I'm glad we didn't let them score. We, they were driving down the field at some point and they were like on our 30 or something like that. And then Ethan Downs got, like forced a fumble or something. But I'm super excited for Ethan Downs. He's a freshman, but he looked really good against obviously a bad team, but still. Yep. Uh, and then going on to the next game, we had Alabama take on Mercer, one of their pay-to-play games. Uh, they beat them 48-14. to 14. Um, Not any surprise there. Yeah, Georgia, no. Georgia took on UAB, which is that? Alabama-Birmingham? Am I right in that? Yeah. 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 Uh, they beat them 56-7 pretty handily. And we have our first upset, huge upset, I'd say, of the season. Uh, and that would be Oregon over Ohio State. Um, Oregon you know, moving on two and zero for the season. Obviously, just second week, but Oregon yeah. beats them thirty-five to twenty-eight, which is just wild to me. I think Oregon deserves some major respect for that. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think obviously, yeah, they do, and I think that <clears throat> a big reason for it is even going into the season, I was saying every every single away game is going to suck for every team, especially big teams, and so that Oregon Ohio State game, I'm sure, was hyped. What the f- uh, what is that sound playing? I don't know. I heard that. Uh, but I think the uh, Oregon Ohio State game was hyped. Like, I had to be loud. I know it was loud. And the fact that Oregon was able to deal with that and beat the number, they were number two, I think, at the time. They beat the yeah. number two team in the nation uh, by a touchdown. And obviously, I mean, it's impressive. Um, but I'm going to be honest, I wasn't super big on Ohio State going into the season. I like Ohio State, but I don't know. It just kind of felt off. Like, I didn't think that they were, like, a championship caliber team, but I also didn't think that of Oregon. So, Oregon's kind of proven that wrong. Um, and they were – Oregon was out was without two of their best defense. Like, two – their top two defensive players were gone. They were out of the game. And they still managed to beat Ohio State. And that running back just went off. So, it's like – Yeah. And I know halftime, there was no point scoring the first. Halftime, it was 14-7 to Oregon. And then it was kind of just back and forth in that second half. I mean, Oregon yeah. scored 14 in the third where Ohio State scored seven, and fourth quarter is backwards. So Ohio State scored 14. Oregon only got seven. But Oregon came out with the W, uh, which I think is huge for them to beat a major team. I think they're not as good as they have been maybe in past years. Uh, yeah. But I think Ohio State is still a, an amazing program, blue blood, obviously, that they shouldn't be losing a game. But, that, hey. No, we shouldn't. But it's also college football, and I don't think, or I don't think Oregon is. That's not a bad loss, especially. No. I believe, I believe that Oregon's going to keep winning, and maybe yeah. even make a statement for playoffs. To be honest with you, uh, maybe. we'll see what they do. But uh, moving on to the next game, we got Texas A and M taking on Colorado. Uh, this was a very defensive that's not a game. Top I five team. What? That's not a top five team putting up ten uh, points against Colorado. Yeah, that's that's literally what I was about to say. Either this was a super defensive game, which maybe their defense is crazy. Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, passing Zach Calzada for a and was 18 for 38. That is not a good completion percentage at all. Uh, so yeah, they, they beat them 10 to seven, but that is, what is that? That is not a top five thing. I don't know what ad keeps playing for like five seconds, but it's real freaking annoying. It could be this video up here. Yeah, it definitely is. Let me just pause this. 
Will just sent me uh sent me something saying that USC fired their head coach. Fired their head coach? Fired their head coach after they oh, lost yep. yesterday. Here's here's um, the comment. USC fired yeah. their coach. <laughs> oh, here here we go. Will Will comes in with breaking news for college football. USC announced that head coach Clay Helton has been fired after a 42-28 loss to Stanford on Saturday. Right. Uh, I, don't, a, I don't think I'm surprised. We'll get to that score, obviously, in a second. But uh, Yeah, no. Um, he, he sent me a statement from the director of athletics, Mike Bone. Uh, and? Mike Bond? Mike Bond, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's pretty long. It says, this afternoon I informed Clay Helton of my decision to make a change of leadership uh, of our football program. Clay is one of the finest human beings I've met in this industry, and he has been a tremendous role model and mentor, or mentor to our young men. Uh, young men, sorry. Shoot, I'm tired. Uh, we appreciate his many years of service to our university and wish him nothing but the best. Consistent with our values as an institution, he deserves the utmost respect from the Trojan family during his transition. As I committed to upon my arrival at USC during the past two off-seasons, we provided every, resources, every resource necessary for our football program to compete for championships, the added resources carry significantly increased expectations for our team's performance, and it already evident that it is already evident that despite the enhancements, those expectations would not be met without a change in leadership. Yikes! Yeah, pretty big. They, they said something else. They said this season is just getting started, and we have the opportunity to really do something special with this team and this program. I'm confident that our interim coach Dante Williams gives us a higher probability for success the remainder of the season. Dante is an experienced and well-represented coach, well, rep, well-respected, sorry, coach who is renowned for his ability to develop relationships with student athletes, and I appreciate his willingness to take on this challenge. With 10 games left, we still have control of our destiny in the Pac-12 Conference, a tremendously talented group of student athletes, and complete faith in the phenomenal assistant coaches and outstanding support staff in the John McKay Center. So wow. they, they announced their interim head coach. Good stuff. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and move on to this next one because for some reason yeah. – I don't. Did you? What, do you know anything about this Clemson game? Because this stat is confusing me right now. Uh, so, so Clemson beat South Carolina State forty-nine to three as they should. Uh, yeah. But DJ stats, he's fourteen for twenty-four and one touchdown. So like, did, where'd the forty-nine points come from? Was it all? Was defense, defense? Probably, I, guess. I mean, the rush, the running back had eight carries, eighty yards, and two touchdowns. But I'm just. That, I mean, maybe he only played like one quarter, or two quarters. Yeah. I just don't. That's all I can think of. It's weird. It's very weird. Uh, but they beat South Carolina State handily, forty-nine to three. Cincinnati, who uh, for Big Twelve news, uh, they are moving to the Big Twelve or got invited, accepted. Yeah. I forget what status it is right now, but they already added the Big Twelve logo to their flag. <laughs> I love that. They're so excited to be to be yeah. in the Big Twelve. Uh, but yeah, they'll be heading to the Big Twelve. Uh, I think 2024, 2025, somewhere around there, whenever the whole contract's up, maybe 2023. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but they're going to Big 12 soon. Making themselves look good, though, for the uh, Big 12 upcoming. Uh, beating Murray State, not the best <laughs> team. But they beat them 42-7, to so beat them handily. Yeah. Um, uh, I wasn't wow. thinking about it earlier. I was thinking – I personally don't see the Big 12 staying in Power 5, and I've said that, obviously. Yeah. But I think, well, I think you me, have to have a powerhouse. And I think Cincinnati might be able to – get to that point if you join it by think power five conference i think recruits are attracted to that does pac-12 have a powerhouse though i'd see that's well you, you know I mean? like, technically should be i'm saying like yes. they're blue oregon blue, you know I mean? every now and then right Oregon, maybe you know maybe I mean? oregon washington every once in a while yeah 
But I just don't know, like, because that's my problem with saying that, oh, well, I can't consider Big 12 a Power 5 because I think of Pac-12 and ACC, which ACC, they have a powerhouse in Clemson. Yeah. Uh, But those two conferences, I'm just like, are they really that crazy? You know what I mean? Like, I don't don't think so. No, they're not. I think – so I think honestly, I think, whenever OU and Texas leave, I think Big Twelve kind of evens themselves between those two with uh, ACC and Pac. I think they're still better than the Pac Twelve. If I'm being honest, uh, yeah, I think they're evenly played. You know, yeah. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. That's a whole other topic. Uh, then you got Notre Dame going on to beat Toledo only by, by three. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it was a yeah, it was a winning touchdown after dislocating his finger, Jack Cohn. Yeah, that's um, right. Nice. Kind of, touchdown. Yeah. Uh, but they are ranked number eight, 32 to 29, beating Toledo. Uh, I guess we can call this an upset. I don't find it that surprising. Uh, I find no. it surprising what Brock Purdy played like. I, Iowa's defense is good, but I didn't think they'd be that good. Three, with Brock that, two or three interceptions. Three. three interceptions. He was 13 for 27. And that's just wild to me. I mean, Iowa's defense needs respect and probably one of the better defenses in the entire college football, to be honest with you. I mean, Iowa State has a good offense. I mean, all starters returned. They yep. should be an insane team this year, and they've kind of – they've kind of um, – what's what I'm looking for? Uh, they've disappointed so far. I agree. They have not looked good at all. And Iowa has looked good. So that's good for I them. Do. They're obviously the top of the Big Ten right now because um, obviously <laughs> – thank you, Will. Uh, <laughs> Had to throw that in there for <laughs> But no, I do think that um, I was, they're obviously at the top of the Big Ten. Do we? Do I think they're going to stay there? I don't know. I don't know if I see a Big Ten team making the playoffs at this point. So I mean, I honestly, whenever I see to take that, whenever I see the Ohio State loss, I think that Iowa could. I mean, if they win out and beat Ohio State in the championship, I think they make the playoffs. Obviously, I mean, obviously, obviously no. I mean, that's what I'm saying. If Iowa, but I'm saying any team can beat them. I feel like it's. Not, oh, I don't think yeah. they're a set in stone great team. I think that. Yep. They're going to have a good season, but they could easily get beat. Ohio State could come back and beat them. But also, if Ohio State wins out, beats Iowa, which at that point, Iowa might be like a top six, seven team. Then, because I mean, they're going to jump up, obviously. They're going to jump Notre Dame. They better. Notre Dame yeah. barely beats Toledo. Yeah, and so, they should, for sure. Um, at that point, Ohio State's beat. If Ohio State beats that team and then goes on to win the Big Ten championship, then I think Ohio State makes the playoffs. Consider, I mean, obviously, we have to consider – where everybody else is, like if yep. the Big 12 and Pac-12 and ACC have an undefeated champion, which they won't, ACC won't, can't now, because Clemson's going to win it. 100%. Uh, going on to the next game, we got Penn State beating Ball State, uh, 44-13. to Sean Clifford, 21 for 29, 230 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I'm pretty sure the defense had a pick six, too, it says there in that video. So good job on the defense. Against Ball State, though. Florida. <laughs> Florida taking on South Florida. I don't know if that's a rivalry. It shouldn't be a rivalry. Uh, takes on takes on South Florida, beats them forty-two to twenty. Uh, starting the season two and zero, which I feel like is solid for Florida, who I think that lost a bunch of players in Kyle Pitts and Trask that uh, I didn't expect much from them this season. If I'm being honest, with you. I mean, but they have played FAU in South Florida, so it's like that's facts. We'll we'll they, see them against they, the SEC. Uh, they play Alabama next week, so oh yeah, we'll be going to week three soon. Yeah. Uh, there's the uh, USC loss to Stanford. That's a bad loss too. Forty-two to twenty-eight. No, it wasn't close. Uh, yeah, oh, that's shoot, a, that's fire a... Sark. Yeah. <laughs> then yeah, then you go one more down. You see number fifteen Texas, who 
Yeah, that that's not a good game at all. Mm. That's, and you're telling me that team's going to the SEC? That's the, Arkansas is a middle like of the pack, if that. I, yeah, I think they're bottom of the I'd middle. Bottom, yeah, bottom middle. Yeah, so that's 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 not yeah. that's not a good look at all. No. Uh, you move Maybe on Arkansas to Wisconsin this year, though. You what? Maybe Arkansas is a good team this year, though. Yeah, maybe. 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 Let's They're let's hope for our, now, I think so. For our sake, let's hope they are. Uh, Wisconsin takes on Eastern Michigan, number eighteen. Wisconsin beats them thirty-four to seven. Uh, see if there's any other big games. Austin P, who I feel like had a lot of hype last year, uh, gets killed by Ole Miss, fifty-four to seventeen. Why? Why did they get any hype last year? Or the year before that, I can't remember. I feel like it's just because with COVID year and there were the Big Ten stepping out and all these teams stepping out that they were actually ranked and doing – I mean, they were winning games. It's not like they were decent. Austin I feel P like was they were, not ranked. Yes, they were. No, they Austin P, Coastal Carolina, and uh, the third one. I don't think Austin Liberty, – Liberty was there, but Austin P was not there. No way. Really? There's or no did they upset Austin somebody? Is that what I'm thinking? That's what I'm thinking. There's no way they – I'm going to look it up because I don't think Austin P – I remember something about Austin P. I think we emphasized <laughs> it in another podcast or something. Yeah. That's why I, I feel like we've definitely talked about him. I'm going to go ahead and continue while you look it up. Uh, BYU beats Utah. Uh, Utah was ranked 21 going into week two. BYU beats him 26 to 17. I would fully expect BYU to be ranked. I'm I'm sure the rankings are out, but surely they are ranked at least bottom, yeah, bottom five, ranked. whatever. They're out. Uh, Miami barely beats App State 25 to 23, beats him by two. Uh, Derek King 20 for 33 for 200 yards. Um. No other big games. Auburn kills Alabama State, sixty-two to zero. Good for that. You find Austin P. Hold on. Uh, okay. They, no. So I don't think they include. I don't know if they include FCS in the uh, top twenty-five because it says it says that they're they were ranked. Last year in the stats, FCS top 25. Huh. So I don't know. Anyway. That's weird. Uh, we're going to go on, move on to the week three. Um, oh, wow. Uh, one sec. Really catch me at a bad time, Will, because I am tired. So that was sarcasm. What did he say? Well, the whole Jake is my favorite podcaster. Oh. Probably because I'm so mellow right now. I'm just so, like, tired. I had to get up at 4.30 this morning. Love that. After a long uh, night. <laughs> <laughs> week three, look ahead. We're going to go ahead and look into this coming weekend. Uh, we start Ooh. out with a huge rivalry game. And I, I mean that. Huge rivalry game from like the 50s and 60s. Not anymore. Uh, yeah, number, no, three, number three, Oklahoma takes on Nebraska, who's 2-1 and one starting the season. Uh, good for that. Their loss is not good. God, they're – well, their completion percentage for Adrian Martinez, what? He runs a lot, too. 46 for 74. Yeah, yeah. 720 yards and four touchdowns. But then he has 34 carries for 250 yards. Jesus. That man runs. And he's uh, really lost to Illinois. What's, since we're OU fans, I will go ahead and just say that. Everyone should know that by now. Uh, what's your expectation in that game? 52 to 7. <laughs> 52 to 7? Yes. God, God dang it. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I think they score I'll, a little I'll bit. Give, I'd give him 14. I'd give him 14. Yeah, I, that's what I was like. I think I give him 14, maybe 17 out of field goal on there just to say screw it. But we should score over 42. Yeah. I don't think Nebraska's defense is crazy. Um, and we better not so let yeah. up. Like, I'm kidding. I don't want to let up the rest of the season. Like, I'm okay just... with what they did last season. I mean, Nebraska's obviously a lot better than Western, Eastern Carolina, whoever we played. Uh, but I'm okay if Spencer Rattler puts up four or five touchdowns in the first half and you want to take him out and put in Caleb Williams and he performs like he did last week, I'm okay with that. Because, I mean, they scored well, 31 in the second They scored 31 in the second half. I'm okay that's with that. That's not letting up, though. Put it in the backups, no, but agree. don't just run the ball. Well, the like, first week, I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure first week the, the starter stayed in. Like, the starter stayed in and they just weren't on the yeah. gas pedal at all. You know what I mean? That just doesn't but make I sense feel, But I feel like also when you put in the backups – it kind of not forces you to hit the gas pedal, but the backups want to play and score a touchdown and, you know what I mean, prove themselves that maybe they could get a starting spot then. So I think it kind of helps yeah. when you put in backups, to be honest, if you have a big lead to kind of give yourself a little even more boost just because those guys are more excited to be on the field than maybe the starters are. I mean, they get playing time, obviously, and then also um, you're resting your starters. So it makes 100%. sense to put in backups. I'm fine with that. Uh, going to the next game, you got AM at New Mexico. New Mexico starting out 2 0. I'm sure they haven't played anybody. Uh, but AM should handily win that game, hopefully. Tickets are only 14 bucks. Maybe I'll be traveling down to College Station, Jacob. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we're talking about that. Saturday, 11 a.m. Same time as New Mexico. Same time as OU's game. So screw that. Uh, you got Cincinnati playing Indiana. Um, Cincinnati hopefully putting on a bigger resume for when they join another yeah. conference. Cincinnati um, is only three and a half point favorites, though, surprisingly. Yeah, it's true. A&M's 28-point favorites. Oh, did you see that? Dude, West Virginia's a three-point favorite against Virginia Tech, and they're one and one. And it affects 2-0 and ranked. Yeah, Virginia That's Tech's weird. ranked 15. Why is, is – We did, are they we did get another primetime game, by the way. Uh, West Virginia's primetime, 630, I think. West Virginia? Yeah, like us against like OU West Virginia. Oh, oh, you went for dinner. Okay. I thought you were saying, yeah. oh, yeah, this is awkward. Yeah, this is awkward. <laughs> we didn't do it. Whatever, whatever it is, we didn't do it. Yep. Uh, they're gone, so go ahead and uh, police are gone. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know why West Virginia's favorite, to be honest with you. It's kind yeah. And tickets are they're just seven. No, they're not. They Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina, Buffalo. That's a big game. Coastal should have that. Coastal is a top 10 team. Changed my mind. Coastal Carolina is 13-point uh, favorites in that one. Uh, Miami, Michigan State. Michigan State starting out 2-0 and in the season. Miami's 1-1, one and one, still ranked 24. Uh, Miami's 6.5-point favorites. They lost Alabama. Chill. They also barely beat App State. But App State's a good football team. Yeah. Michigan takes on Northern Illinois. Notre Dame plays Purdue. That'd be a good test for Notre Dame, low-key. No, it wouldn't. They should easily uh, beat Purdue. I, I might pull that. I might call that for one for an upset, to be honest. I mean, maybe because of the, how Notre Dame played freaking uh, Toledo. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Toledo. But I think, no. I'll be honest. I am impressed with how Michigan's been this season. I think they're a decent football team this year. They're not going to Michigan. I mean, they could beat Ohio State this year. I don't know what. Where See, they, who's home that game? Who Who did I say in the week two recap that? Who did I say? Who's two and zero? Who's two and zero in the Big Ten besides Michigan? Besides that Michigan, I, I don't know. That I said I'll, could I'll be. I said that they could beat Ohio State. Iowa, yeah. Yeah. 
See, Iowa and Michigan. I want to. I hope they play this season. I don't know, but kind of um, wonder if they do. Alabama know. and Florida, Jacob. Yeah, Alabama. They don't play. Dude, Ohio they State plays play. Michigan. Ohio State, and Michigan play week like the last week of the season. Well, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, but no, they don't. Hopefully, play Michigan's Iowa. hopefully Michigan's undefeated until then. Hopefully, I mean, dude, if if Michigan beats Ohio State. Uh, Harbaugh is getting a 20-year extension because they think that would be insane for them. I'm going to take a pause real quick. and I mean, maybe not. I'll probably finish this week three look ahead. But Iowa's ranked five? Weren't they what? 10 last week? Who? Iowa. I mean, they beat Iowa State. Ten, yeah. But they jumped five spots? Where does that, that make people? Let me look it up. I mean, it yeah, says they're five right yeah. here. But. Okay, so you have Clemson behind them, who lost, obviously. Yeah, um, Clemson A&M, one and one. Who's two and zero? Cincinnati two and zero, and then Ohio State's one and one, and then Penn State's ten. That's kind of so crazy. Sense, you know what I mean? It's kind of crazy though to me that Clemson and Ohio State are six and what nine, six and eight. Yeah, that's just kind of crazy to think. Week State, week two, week or going into week three, and they're six and nine. That's. That's kind of wild. Big games early on in the season. So. Oh, yeah, huge games. Uh, but, yeah, Iowa takes on Kent State. They should win that game, continue their top five ranking now. I mean, that's huge for them. So, hopefully they continue to win. That one's in Iowa. They're 22.5-point favorites. So, should be an easy game. Clemson gets a home game against Georgia Tech. Hopefully pull out a win there. 28.5-point favorites. That's probably a lock, I'd say. Hopefully. Should be. Uh, Ohio State plays Tulsa. Tulsa – I remember – what did I hear about Tulsa? Um, they almost beat OSU. They almost beat OSU. That's right. They almost they beat OSU. They did now almost they can play OSU, OSU again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now they're playing OSU twice. Uh, yeah. yeah, this OSU is probably a little better. Oh, should be. Should be a lot of better. Um, Arkansas plays Georgia Southern. Georgia plays South Carolina. South Carolina, I feel like, is always kind of – not upset alert, but I feel like they always kind of just ruin really people's seasons. Okay, so. football team. Yeah, well, I just feel like they. I feel like they just always ruin somebody's season. Yeah. So that that could really just screw Georgia over, but we'll see how that goes. Georgia is home for that thirty-one point favorite. So yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, you got Oregon playing Stony Brook, number That's four ranked Oregon. I don't know who Stony Brook is. That's a high school. That's they yeah, they don't. They don't even give us a line on that. No, there's no line. We didn't get a line against uh, Eastern Carolina either. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you got number 10, Penn State, taking on number 22, Auburn. Uh, College game day is like, Do what? College game day is going to be there. College game day. So that's the big I was going to ask. Yeah, this week. I was going to ask. We kind of need to uh, pick a spotlight game again for this week. I don't know if you've been looking at them or picking one, but which game you're most excited for or we're most excited for. But and there North Carolina big games. I think there's a couple of big games that I might choose. Okay, North Carolina. Florida. Take, Go ahead, though. Go ahead. North Carolina taking on Virginia. Number, number 21, North Carolina taking on Virginia. Nine-point favorites in that game. I'll just see how many more I got. We should be almost done. So, yeah. Yeah, there we four go. more. Uh, Arizona State, number 19, taking on number 23, BYU. I'm assuming the loser in that one would be unranked after this week. So, um, go ahead and try to stay ranked between those two teams. Uh, number 14, Iowa State takes on UNLV. Who's 0-2 to start the season? Iowa State is 30-point favorites in that game. Hopefully they pull out a win after losing to Iowa, which is a good loss, but 
Yeah. Uh, then we got UCLA ranked number 13 uh, playing Fresno State, and they are home at the Oregon Rose Bowl. What? Oregon, uh, Fresno State almost beat Oregon. So, oh, watch out for them. Hopefully, US is that your uh, is that your upset pick? That lucky could be. I might be. Yeah. Yeah. Or or yeah. Tulane over Ole Miss. I might do <laughs> that. I'm trying to think about my my upset pick is probably South Carolina over Georgia just because I feel like that'd be a huge one if it happens. No, that's then I then I could say I, then I could say I called it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Thirty-one point favorites. You're gonna call that upset? Okay. <laughs> Um, spotlight though, I mean, it could be Alabama, Florida, to be honest. But I'd be yeah, saying, I mean, that's like, but I don't know if I'm excited. I don't know if I'm excited to watch that game. Yeah, I think I want to say I'm excited for OU Nebraska. Obviously, not because we know it's going to be a blowout, but like, I don't know. Obviously, for us, the rivalry means more because we're OU fans, but correct. Still, it's a huge game, regardless, it's a huge game, even if you aren't a fan of either team, it's a huge rivalry. Dates back way far and um, way, way, I mean, way. Now it's not going to matter. Way, way, way. I mean, it's not near as much of a rivalry because one, we haven't played them in a minute, uh, and two, we're the much better team. 100%. Uh, I believe that kind of stops us there. I mean, cover week two. I'm going to go over rankings real quick. If oh, I yeah. mean, I can, just like glance over them, I can pull up the rankings on this. So, standings. Oh, yeah, I did the wrong one, I yeah. realized. Oh, give um, me a sec. You go ahead, Dub. No, I mean, there's nothing crazy. Just the fact that, obviously, do we think Oregon should be above OU? In my opinion, yes. Do I? Is it a big deal, though? No. But should they be above Oklahoma? I think so. Um, All right, here we go. I got to pull up now. Yeah. Um. So you got number one, Alabama, staying there. Number two, Georgia, staying there. Uh, Oklahoma moves up after – who? Ohio State? Ohio State lost. Surely, yeah. yeah. They went down six. I was like, surely it's them. Uh, Ohio State goes down. Oregon moves up eight spots. That's probably the biggest jump in this rankings. Uh, that's a huge jump up for Oregon, which I think they deserve, obviously. Uh, yeah. I do think there is probably a debate that they should be over Oklahoma. Yeah. I feel like the only reason, too, is because of Oklahoma's first week shot. I mean, we, I mean the week first week, they look. Obviously, you play Ohio State and you beat them at home. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I just feel like the second week showing is kind of what we expected from Oklahoma going into the season. Yeah, so I feel like maybe they're back on track, or maybe that was also just first game was a fluke. Maybe I don't, I don't know what you want to call it. I like See, to call that it. Really a fluke. depends on like how they want to rank these. Do you want to base it off of resume, or do you want to base it off of what team you think is better? I and would, so. well, because I feel like they kind of take both of those into effect. Because I looked at the like what they take into account when they do these, yeah. and I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, resume, like that's obviously one, like win loss, yeah. obviously, and what their record is like and stuff. But they also take into effect if these two teams played, who who do you think would win? Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure they do take that into account, which I think is a good thing because a oh, team shouldn't be yeah. ranked above somebody else if they would get killed by that team. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I feel like it makes sense. Okay, then if Iowa played Clemson, I think that I mean Iowa's <laughs> defense though is really freaking good. You know. I was not. I don't think. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. They, Georgia, Georgia. You think Iowa State's or you think Iowa's defense is as good as Georgia's defense? Because no, uh, ain't no way. I think they're. I think they're closer than we might think, Jacob. 
Nobody's defense is as good as Georgia's right now. Hey, defense I, is ridiculous. Wait you for Iowa. Points, you remember how many points Clemson scored on Georgia? Unfortunately, three, three, three points. Three, and, and that's DJ not because, was. That's not because Clemson's bad. No, I was about, I was about to say that DJ didn't have a bad performance. DJ's not a bad oh, player either. No. Uh, that's just great defense, especially at the line. Like that's scary. Like if you if you're a team that can get the ball out fast, you, you might be able to beat Georgia. But if you can't get the ball out fast, that's you're a you're not uh, gonna have a fun day. No. Uh, Clemson goes ahead and stays at six. A and M moves down two uh, to number seven. Cincinnati falls to eight. Colorado. Yeah, barely beat Colorado. Cincinnati won though, right? Why did they move down? Yeah, they won, but well, the other teams are winning. I, I Iowa and Oregon. Yeah. Play better teams than one, so yeah. Ohio State just not a good look for them. Uh, not a bad. The look, Big Ten but... is representing up here in the top ten, though. I will give you that. Yeah, Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa. Yeah. Um, I don't see any surprise. Notre Dame, crazy, yeah. Notre Dame falling four kind of surprises me. I think. And they barely beat oh. Toledo. It kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, Toledo, I guess, yeah. Yeah, you just can't have close games like that, which obviously OU did, but I don't know. I think Notre Dame's kind of been sketch all year. And they, they barely beat Florida State, who Florida State just lost to Jacksonville State. <laughs> you know, they went to overtime. With poor my, poor Miami, though. I feel bad for Miami. I mean, so do I, mean, I, but, like, they're bad. They fell to 24. They're not good. You realize that App State, put, I think, put up more points. They put up 14. Michigan or well, Michigan. Miami put up 13 points against Bama. Yeah, but here's my problem. I hate preseason rankings. Why? Because what was – there were 14, which I guess is, I thought they were higher, to be honest with you. Uh, I really thought they were top 10, so I can't really make that point anymore. Uh, but I was going to say that I think that preseason rankings are a bunch of – BS just because they haven't played a game. You, you haven't seen anything. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they try to base it more like obviously they, they're going to base it however they think it's going to end up, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, it's you never really trust the rankings until a couple weeks in, obviously. Yeah. For sure. Um, is there anything else you want to go over? No. Nothing crazy. I'm just glad. I'm, I'm actually really glad that Michigan's doing something. I mean, it's two weeks in, but still, just the fact that they are not terrible, uh, that's cool. Michigan needs to be back at that spot. I think they should have got rid of Harbaugh, but whatever. And they just signed him to an extension, so I don't know. Maybe turn something around. Um, and then nothing crazy. BYU's still killing it without Zach Wilson. So that's good. Without who? Zach Wilson. He's, he's, he's one of my uh, roommates, you know. And that wraps up the show, guys. Uh... <laughs> I hope you I, – I know we only had uh, like two or three viewers, I think I saw Maximum at one point, uh, which is pretty cool for our first live show for Talk Show U. Uh, hopefully you guys like it. Hopefully we get more viewers on and more comments than just our buddy Will. Uh, and we'll see where we can go with this show. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, if you guys are coming in now and you don't know where to follow us, Look down right now. Uh, it's all at the bottom. Instagram's at Talk Show You. Facebook is Talk Show You. And Twitter is at the Talk Show You. Will's going to comment and say, I don't use Twitter, which I need to use it more. But YouTube and Twitch is where this will mostly be streamed, I believe, uh, on JD Network and JD Media Network. 
Uh, so go ahead and follow us all there. You guys know where to find us by now. And we will see you guys next week for the week three recap and week four look ahead as well. Thank you guys for listening to Talk Show You. See you next time. of magic are about to transform the entire Walt Disney World Resort into the world's most magical celebration. Explore amazing lands filled with favorite attractions. Have big fun being small in the new Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. And feel the unifying magic of Disney music in the new nighttime spectacular, Harmonious. It all starts October 1st. Discover more at DisneyWorld.com slash 50. It's time to put on your party hat at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort and Harris Cherokee Valley River Casino and Hotel. From the thrilling yet intimate experience of Harris Cherokee Valley River Casino and Hotel in Murphy, North Carolina, to the Vegas-style resort at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort in Cherokee, North Carolina, these destinations will brighten your day and light up your night. You must be 21 years of age or older to enter the casino floor and to gamble and must present a valid state or federal photo ID upon request. No one to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Enterprise of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.